If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus. We're seeing the nation of Israel, how God has delivered his people, Israel, from the bondage of Egypt. And we've seen the Exodus. We've seen two million people come out of Egypt. We've seen they're on, we're on their way to the promised land. As we get to 17, the people are getting deeper and deeper into wilderness on the way to Mount Sinai, and which is also called Mount Horeb. And if you notice... That rock that they struck is Mount Horeb. They've got to the place where they're going to get what we call Mount Sinai, where they get the law. So there's some great things there. They're going to meet with God, and they get there, and they're going to, he's going to give them the law. It sets them apart, makes them a holy people. We'll talk more about that when we get to those chapters. So it, uh, uh, they've been, uh, and they're going to be there about a year and then move on. Well, this evening we continue to see God's provision for his people. Imagine two million people in the wilderness, in the desert. How are they going to be taken care of? We've seen that they've got to have food and water, and over and over God does that. In fact, as we study this section, we see the contrast between man and God. Because what we see from man is that he is uh, griping and grumbling and not trusting God, but we see God is always a God of grace, and he continues to provide for his people. This evening we see it's another passage. Once again, the people gripe, and God provides. We see Moses strikes the rock and gives water to the people. Now, we're going to do something because we're going to move up a little and see another aspect of this passage, something else that ties in with it. We'll see that just as we get into it. So let's start and uh, start with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for our, our uh, church. Thank you for everybody that's here tonight. What a great night. Thank you for the music. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus. <clears throat> Lord, we never want to take for granted that you so loved us that you sent your son to die for us on the cross and pay for our sins and to rise again and that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you that as we look in the Old Testament and we see the nation of Israel moving toward the promised land and all of the promises and everything that you did for your nation and for those people, Lord, we realize that you provide and protect us in the same way that you did them. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We ask you, Lord, that as we study this passage tonight, you will teach us and we'll see truths and principles we can apply even right now in our lives. Uh, teach us now, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of ways that people look at sin. One way is this, that you know, sin is sin. That whether it's murder or just a bad thought, both are sins and both are equally as bad. But some people say, no, it's not exactly like that. They're, they're sort of big sins and little sins. I mean, you might murder somebody, that's a big sin, but you might lie, and that might be a little sin. How should we look at sin? Realize that the Bible defines sin as rebellion or defection from God's character or commands. In other words, sin is when we go against what God has told us to do. The truth is we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that. The wages of sin is death, and so if we've sinned, we owe God death. That's why we need a Savior. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and died for us and paid for our sins and, and has made it possible that by faith in him we'd have eternal life. But let's think about sin for just a second. The truth is, sin is sin. And, but, and all sin breaks fellowship with God. But how God deals with sin may vary from person to person and from sin to sin. How he deals with you in a certain sin that you do may be different than how he deals with you in a different sin that you do. So here's a question. How do we view sin? Three things, really. One, that it's wrong because it breaks fellowship with God. Now, we're talking about believers. 
who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have fellowship with the living God. But when you sin as a Christian, it breaks your fellowship. You don't lose your salvation. It just breaks your fellowship. Second, it's a serious thing because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to, to deal with our sins. And so we can't treat sin as nothing because God sent His Son to die for us. And third, it brings discipline because God deals with His children. When we think about sin this evening, I wanted to bring that up because we're going to see the nation of Israel in the wilderness and we're going to see, in a sense... Two sins tonight, okay? One, first, sin by the nation, grumbling. And number two, and you can't, you can't see it in this passage, but number two, we're going to see Moses and his sin. And you say, well, I didn't see Moses sinning in this. Well, it's not in this passage. I want to show you something as we go through it. As you think about this, whether it's something little or big, sin always breaks fellowship and brings discipline. Now, as we continue, once again, we're seeing over and over that man's grumbling, not trusting God, sin. God's grace in providing and protecting. As we start, let's remember where we are, just sort of a background for everybody. The nation of Israel is on their way to Mount Sinai. They will meet with God, get the law, and then head on to the promised land. Moses is leading the people. If you remember Moses, the man that went to the Pharaoh and said, God told me to tell you to let my people go. Pharaoh wouldn't do it. Brought ten plagues on the nation of Egypt. Finally, the last plague was the death of the firstborn son. The Egyptians let them go. They came out. Egyptians came after them. God parted the Red Sea. The nation of Israel went across the Red Sea on dry land. When the Egyptians followed after, the water poured over them and killed all of that army. And so Moses is leading the people. And, and during the day, there's this big cloud. It's called the Shekinah glory. And the cloud is there. And when the cloud moves, the people move. At night, it's a pillar of fire. When the fire moves, the people move. That's how they know where to go or what to do. God has provided for them every day all throughout this time. Some things have happened. Let me remind you what's happened. First of all, they came to a place. The first time they come to a place after they left Egypt, and they came to this place that was supposed to be water, and they realized it was water, but it was poisoned water. It was bitter water. They couldn't drink it. They began to grumble, and God provided. He told Moses to take some wood. He actually said, take a tree, throw the tree into the water, And when he did that, the water became good, so God provided. Then they began to gripe because there was no food. They said, we don't have any food. We need food. And so what God did is he brought these birds, and they flew right into the camp, and the the Israelites could eat these birds. And then every morning when they woke up, there was this stuff on the ground, and they called it, what is it? They would go, what is it? And the Hebrew word for what is it is manna, which is manna. Which So they said, manna, manna, what is it? And he, God said, I'm going to provide for every day when you get up in the morning, there will be manna, manna on the ground for you. And so he provided for them. Now they've come to a place where once again they have no water. And they're going to gripe again. And they're going to say, what are we going to do about the water? Sometimes you would think, okay, they've seen over and over how God provides. You'd think they would say, okay, we don't have water, but God's going to surely provide. Well, we just look at our lives. Do we do that? We, don't, we, we do exactly what they do. God, t- We say, oh, I don't know what we're going to do, God. Then God does something. We go, oh, thank you, Lord. Then the next time something comes up, we go, I don't know what we're going to do. And, and that's what the Israelites do, and that's what we do. We're going to see this, this evening what he does there. There's one final thing, and we'll see it in this chapter. It'll be next week, and we're going to see the enemy, the Amalekites, come and attack them. This is the first time they have ever fought. Because you remember, their whole lives for the last 400 years, the nation of Israel has been slaves in Egypt. They've never been an army. They've never fought in a battle. They've never fought an enemy. When they left Egypt, God did all the fighting for them. An enemy called the Amalekites. A descendants of a man named Amalek is coming after them. And we'll see that next week. What does God do? We'll see how God 
provides. Well, this evening they get to Rephidim, and, and when they get there, there's no water. Look what happens. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, they journeyed, and it says journeyed by stages. And the word stages there means they, they would stop and they'd go. They would stop and they'd go. God would direct them. The, the, the cloud would move and the people would move and then they would stop when the cloud stopped. That's what it means, journeyed by stages. So they're following God. So you think, think about this. You think that if they came to a place with no water and God is the one that brought them there, they would say, okay, we're following God. If he brought us here, it's going to be okay. But that's not what they say. And we, we do the same thing. Uh, God directs our lives. We seek to live for him. And then something goes wrong or what we think is wrong. And we say, I wonder why God's doing this. Why did this happen? We just have to, to trust him. We're going to see that uh, he is directing his people. They gripe and they complain. There's no water. They're going to have to trust God. Well, watch what happens. Verse 2. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Now, Moses says, Why do you quarrel with me? You remember when they came to the place and it was bitter water? They quarreled with Moses. When they said that there wasn't any food or bread or meat, they quarreled with Moses. The truth is, they're really quarreling with God. And he says, why do you test the Lord? They're testing the Lord. And uh, what happens when things go wrong? And here's what happens. When things go wrong, most of the time we blame others. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're blaming Moses. They're saying, Moses, give us something to drink. And Moses is saying, no, no, it's not me. It's not me. The truth is, they're really blaming God. And when we, things go wrong and we start blaming people and blaming things, we're really blaming God. When we grumble at our circumstances and our situation, we're complaining about God and his plan. Well, what, what, what do they say? Give us water. Well, let me say this. <clears throat> what do they expect Moses to do? Where's Moses going to get water? Moses is just like they are. I mean, he, he, he could look around and say, what do you all expect me to get water? You see any water around here? No. How does Moses answer? He has been leading these people they're all slaves. They've grumbled all the way. They've complained all the way. God has always provided. I want you to see this. When they came out of Egypt, he provided. When they, he parted the Red Sea, he provided. When they needed water the first time, he's provided. When they needed food, he has provided. Over and over, God has provided. You look at our lives, every one of us in this room, God has taken care of us day in and day out. Everything that we have comes from God we, he has, takes care and provides for us. Notice verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, if you will remember back, several chapters back, they said the same thing, except they said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt so that, we, that you may kill us by hunger. That was when they wanted food. And they said, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us by hunger. Now they say, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us by thirst. Now the truth is this. Moses is not the one that brought them out there. Who brought them out there? God brought them out there. You know, and they're going to they're gonna have to trust God. And they said, why have you brought us up here? And, and let me just say something. Where were they before they came out here? They're in Egypt. What were they in Egypt? They were slaves. It wasn't that good a deal there in Egypt. You know, let's face it. And sometimes we forget. They forget what it was like. And sometimes we forget what we were like before salvation. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you've gone from death 
to life, from darkness to light, from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. Sometimes as a Christian, and we begin to gripe about life, we forget what we were like before we trusted in Christ. We forget what our destiny was. Our destiny was eternal separation from God. Now, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, our eternal destiny is eternal life with Jesus Christ. They've forgotten. Why did you bring us out here? Why did you bring us out here? Well, God, he didn't bring them out there. God brought them out there. But remember, they were slaves. And the whole time they were slaves, they were griping. Why are we slaves? Well, how does Moses respond? So Moses cried out to the Lord. Now, that's really the best thing to do. When things go wrong, who do you go to? You go to the Lord. And so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do to these people? To these people. A little more and they will stone me. Now, what he's really saying is, Listen, I don't know what to do because they're getting, they're getting worse and worse and worse. And if they keep going, they may kill me. They may kill me. Man grumbles. How does God respond? We've seen over and over the grace of God. Day after day, God has shown His grace to His people. Every morning they wake up, there is manna on the ground for them to eat. Every day. Day after day, He provides and protects. What's His plan? Well, watch the plan. Verse 5, Then Moses said, the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And here's what God tells him. He says, I want you to go in front of the people. They're all out there griping. I want you to walk in front of all the people. I want you to take some of the elders. And the elders, as you know, were the older men. They were the leaders of the different tribes and families. And in the nation of Israel, there were always men that were older, that were the wiser ones, that were raised up for leadership, and they were called the elders. He says, take the elders, take some of the older men with you, Moses. Now, how old is Moses, by the way? Anybody remember how old he is? He's 80 years old, at least 80. He, he was 40 years old before he went to the backside of the desert. He stayed there for 40 years. He came back and confronted Pharaoh when he was 80 years old. So if you want to talk about elders, uh, Moses is an elder himself. He's 80 years old. His brother Aaron is 83 years old. And so he says, take some of the elders, take some of the leaders with you, and then take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Now, he had this rod which sometimes it was called Aaron's rod, because sometimes Aaron had it, sometimes Moses had it. The rod, let me just say this, there was this stick. And if you remember what Moses did with the stick, he struck the Nile, and the Nile turned, the water in the Nile turned to blood. It's the same stick that he held up, and the water parted uh, in the Red Sea. Now, here's the key that I want you to understand. He says, take the stick, I think it's, take the staff, he tells Moses to go with the rod. I want you to understand, it's not the rod that is the power. It is God that is the power. The rod, in a sense, represents God in His glory and His power. So the rod is not the strength. And Moses is not the strength. God is the strength. The same thing is true for each of us. We're not the power. The power is Jesus Christ. The power is God within us and through us. It is our God who works through us. And He gets all the power. And He gets all the honor and the glory. And so that's, that's, that's why He gets all the glory. So watch. Moses is going to take this rod. And he's going to go in front of all the people with the elders. And look what he's going to do. It says, here's what God tells him to do. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horab. Now, I want you to think. What is Horab? What's Mount Horab? That's Mount what? Sinai. It's the same. This is the same place. They have now come to the place in which they're eventually going to get what we call the Mosaic Law. 
And you know the story. When they get there and God wants them to give them the law, he tells the people to wait. Moses goes up, disappears for a long time, and gets the Ten Commandments. And a lot of times we think they're on these big, big plate, big, uh, you know, th- things, but they were probably round plates. The scripture actually says that he held the tablets in his hand. So most believe they were actually round tablets with the Ten Commandments written on both sides and that he brought them down in that way. Uh, and we know that when he comes down, they, break, they already break the commandments before he gets down, so he breaks them and, and they get uh, more commandments when he goes back up the mountain. But here's what happens. He says, I, I, I will stand before you at the rock at Horeb. There you will strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. So he tells him, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up there and I want you to hit the rock with the, the, with the, with the stick. Go up in front of all the people and hit the rock and water's going to come out. And as the water comes out, people will be able to drink. They'll be able to take care of the animals. They'll be able to take care of everything. Now, you may say, wow, that is amazing. Well, that's no different, really, than throwing a tree into the water and making the water taste good. It's no different than the birds flying in the camp. It's no different than manna... Manna come in every morning. He takes care of them every day. He says that the people, the two million people may drink. Notice, Moses did it. It says, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Moses hit the rock. Now, there's something that you may not have actually realized or thought about, that this is God's provision for them, but we learn in the New Testament that this rock is really a picture of Jesus Christ. In fact, the New Testament calls the rock Christ. And it says the rock followed them in the wilderness. That's how as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, that's going to be later. How did they drink? How did they eat? How did they t- The rock followed them. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, or 10, 10, 4 says, And they all drank from the same spiritual rock, for they were drinking from the rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. In Psalm 78, 35, it says, and they remembered that God was their rock and that he was the most high, was their redeemer. Let's think about this picture of this rock for just a second, okay? And I want you to understand something. What, what did he do first? He hit the rock. And that is a picture of, our, of Jesus Christ who, yeah, go ahead and go to the next slide. Picture of Jesus Christ who was struck and bruised and hit for us to provide salvation. The Bible talks about in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah, the Savior, would be bruised, wounded, and, and crucified. That's the picture. And so, in a sense, when Moses hit the rock and the water came out, it is a picture in the Old Testament of a, the provider and the Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is the rock who was struck. And so the Bible pictures that. Now, I want you to see something else. Because if we just stop right here, you're going to miss a picture that's a little bit later on. So what I want you to do is just think about what we've seen. We've seen the sin of the nation of Israel because they refuse to trust God and they gripe and complain. And so what God does is tell Moses to strike the rock and the water is going to come out. And the rock is a picture of Christ. And striking the rock is a picture of Jesus being suffering, being bruised, crushed, wounded for as our Savior. Right? We got that? Now, I want you to jump ahead to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. So you got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And go to Numbers chapter 20. And this is, of course, later on. The nation of Israel got the law, went up to the promised land, and were too afraid to go in. And so God 
let that generation of Jewish people wander for 40 years until that generation died out and a new generation was ready to go into the promised land. That's why they wandered for 40 years. Now watch what happens as they're wandering around. Look at verse 2 of Numbers chapter 20. It says, There was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. It's the same thing. Does it sound familiar? Here they are. They're doing the same thing. This is years later, but they're doing the same thing. The people continued with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. That's talking about another event where God actually wiped out some of the Jewish people. And then they said, Why have you brought us into the, Lord, the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come from Egypt? Does that sound familiar? I mean, it's the same griping. So watch verse 6. And Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly of the doorway of the tent meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Now, I want you to think about it. The first time they, they didn't have that water and they griped. And what did God tell Moses to do? Take the rod and do what? Go strike the rock. And the water came out. It was a picture of Jesus Christ being bruised and wounded for us. Okay? Picture of Christ dying for us. Watch what God tells him. Verse 8. He says, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, notice, and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beast drink. Now, what's he supposed to do this time? He's supposed to speak to the rock. Now, I want you to understand that that it's very similar. They're going to come and they're going to assemble the congregation and he's supposed to speak to the rock. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, The first time, uh, the first time, this is different than the first time. The first time he was to strike the rock. The second time he was to speak to the rock. I want you to understand this is a picture, uh, once again, of Jesus Christ. How is it a picture? Why, Why speak to the rock? It's a picture of Christ. Notice the next slide. Their first time, it's a picture of being struck, bruised, hit, provide our Savior. But the second time, it's a picture of Him being our intercessor. See, Christ was only bruised once. He died on the cross once. Once for all, died and rose again. Now He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's our intercessor. And what do we do? Is He supposed to be struck a second time? He's supposed to be what? Spoken to. And so it's a picture of that. Now watch what Happens, verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. How does Moses sound? How does he sound? He's mad. Is he supposed to be mad? No, he's supposed to. God says, Take the thing and go up to it. And what I want you to do is say, Water is going to come out. Speak to the rock. Water is going to come out. Because the first time, Jesus had to be bruised. The second time, we speak to him. See, he's our Savior, and he's our intercessor. And he's only, be to, he's only to die once. So watch what happens. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall... Uh-oh. Notice carefully what he says. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Notice anything? What does he say? We... He didn't say, shall God bring forth water for you out of this rock? He says, shall we, me and Aaron, shall we bring it out? Wait a minute, who? somebody's messing up here, aren't they? 
I mean, there's a little pride and a languor here. He's saying, shall we do it? Pride and anger out of Moses. Now, you know, the Bible never covers up what people are really like. I mean, you see great people like David, a man after God's own heart, but you see his adultery and you see his murder. And you see Moses who killed a man, hit him in the sand early. And now you see Moses all mad in front of all the people when God just said, speak to the rock. Moses is out there, he's really mad, and look what happens. It says, then Moses lifted up his hand, and what does it say? He struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly in the congregation, and their beast drank. Now, why do you think he struck it twice? What do you think happened when he struck it the first time? No water. He struck it twice. Now, was he supposed to strike it at all? He was just supposed to speak. Striking is the picture of Jesus dying for us. Speaking is the picture of Jesus being our intercessor. He only dies once. He's our intercessor continually. Moses hit the rock. Nothing happened. He hit it again. Water came out. We could say, Moses could say, Whew. Well, that's okay. That's okay. I guess it took two hits this time. How many hits was it supposed to take? None. And watch the next verse. And by the way, God is gracious even when man grumbles and disobeys. God gave him water, didn't he? God could have said, I, I'm not giving any water till you speak. He could have done that, but he didn't. But watch the next verse. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now, because Moses struck the rock twice instead of speaking to the rock, God says, you have disobeyed me in front of all of the people. And therefore, you have not shown me to be holy. You will not bring them into the land. Now, we all know what happened. Moses led the people. They came all the way up to the, to the Jordan River. They got ready to go into the promised land. And God told Moses to he could look at the land and then he went up in the mountain and he died. He never got to take the people into the promised land. In fact, we know what happened. Aaron died and was buried and Moses gave up the leadership to Joshua and then he died. Neither one of them got to go into the promised land when the nation of Israel went. Now, you and I could say, well, um, gee, isn't that a little bit hard? I mean, he struck the rock. I mean, isn't that... I mean... You're going to get eliminated from going to the promised land because you struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it? Yeah. See, Moses was in a great place of leadership. And Moses, the old saying is, the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. Moses knew the Lord face to face. Moses was God's representative to the nation of Israel. And when he openly disobeyed God in front of the people, there were consequences. God deals with us the way he chooses to deal with us. We see man's sin and grumbling and disobedience, but we see God's grace. Go back to Exodus chapter 17. I want you to see one more thing. <clears throat> so when you study the passage and you realize that striking the rock is a picture of Christ being bruised and wounded and crushed for us, speaking to the rock is a picture of Jesus being uh, the intercessor. And he was not supposed to strike him a second time. 
He was supposed to speak to him. Notice verse 6 again. He says, Behold, I will stand before you at the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He did right there. We saw later on in chapter 20 of Numbers, he did not do right. Now notice, he named the place Massah, which means to test, and Marabah, which means to quarrel, because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Massah to test, Marabah to quarrel. That's what They named that place because the people tested God and they quarreled among God and among themselves. And what were they saying? Is God among us or not? Let me ask you something. Was God among them? How did they know? How did they know? They saw the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Every morning they got up, there was manna. God took care of them all the time. It is so easy to take God for granted. It's easy to forget what He does for us. It's easy to forget it. Hebrews 13 says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Philippians 4.19 says, He'll supply every need that we have. We tend to take it all for granted, and we couldn't do that. What have we seen? We've seen man grumbles, but God's grace. We've seen there was no water and they don't trust in God, and God tells Moses to strike the rock and the water will come out, and he did that, and God provided. We saw later on Moses failed. Moses struck a rock twice when God told him to speak to it. God is the provider. God dealt with Moses. Let me give you some applications. Simply put, let's trust God in the trials and circumstances of life. We have to do that. He's in control. We've got to rest in Him as we go through these things. We start a semester. There's no telling what's going to happen. The professor may be unreasonable. There may be so much work you can't get it done. Something may happen in our lives. There are going to be ups and downs. We have to trust God in the circumstances of life. We don't know what the future may bring, but we know the one who is with us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We see Israel day after day, God providing for them. He takes the bitter water and turns it good. He takes the fact they have no food to give them food. They have no water. He gives them water. He provides. The rock is a picture of Jesus Christ to save us from sin. In this passage, Jesus is the rock. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, it actually says that the rock was Christ. And the picture of the rock being struck is the picture of Jesus Christ dying for us and paying for our sins. The second time he deals with the rock, it's a picture of Jesus being the intercessor and he was not to strike the rock. One of the greatest truths of all, and that's why I put this up. Go ahead, leave, I'm sorry, leave it back up there. The picture of Jesus as the rock as the Savior. Every one of us need a Savior. Most of you know my story. When I was 19 years old, I was in college and I believed that if you did more good than bad, you could go to heaven. That's what I thought. And, uh, and somebody said to me, if you, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? I said, yeah, I think I'm going. And they say, why? And I said, because I've done more good than bad. Because I thought that if you did a bad, you'd do a good. And, and as long as you do more goods than bad, you'd be okay. I wandered into a Bible study. And uh, when I wandered in that Bible study, it ended up, I didn't know it was a Bible study. Or I wouldn't have gone in there. But anyway, it ended up being a Bible study. And that night, a guy said that, you know, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I said, yeah, I've heard that. I, we've all sinned. And then he said, the wages of sin is... And in my mind, I thought the wages of sin is do a good. If you do a bad, you do a good. He said the wages of sin is death. And for the first time in my life, I realized all the good I'd ever done could not pay for one bad. And they told me how Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for my sin. And if I would believe in him, I would have eternal life. He is the rock. He is the, pick, he is the one who died on the cross. He is the one who was bruised for us. He is the one who took our sin and paid for our sins. And if we believe in him, we have eternal 
eternal life. It is that simple. And salvation is simply by faith. The truth, of course, is that Jesus, when we trust him as Savior, he then becomes our intercessor, and he never is struck again. We don't have to, to, uh, to bruise him again. We, we, we just talk to him, and he's our intercessor. The second application to think about is to not trust God is sin. That's what it really is. People say, well, you know, what difference does it make? It's sin. To, trust, to not trust God is to sin. And in these passages, we see that both Moses and Aaron and the people at different times didn't trust God, and that was sin. And uh, they went through life, and they grumbled, and they complained. I think uh, that uh, how do we respond to the trials and problems of life? Is it to trust God, or is it to be angry and grumbling and disobedient? You know, here's a, a quote I found this the other day. Go ahead and go to the next. It says, you know, some people go through life standing at the complaint counter. That's how they look at life. It's why is it this way? Why is it this way? How come it's not this way? And want to say, just trust God. He's working it out. Well, as we think about our passage tonight, trust God in the trials and problems of life and circumstances, knowing that he is faithful to provide and protect day after day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. Lord, we thank you that as we look in the Old Testament, we see some great pictures and great truths. We see how you provided for the nation of Israel, even when they griped and complained. We see how hitting the rock was a picture of Jesus Christ and the provision for the people. Lord, we see that later on, speaking to the rock was a picture of Jesus Christ and and our intercessor. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died and rose again was bruised and wounded for us so that he could give us eternal life. So that now, seated at the right hand of the Father, he is our intercessor. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the provision you have for us for eternal life, simply faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for what we see in the Old Testament. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.